Amen. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you this morning. You've probably already figured out I'm not a Mennonite. Um, my name is Peter Todd, as Matt said, but in southern Manitoba, you can call me Todd Peters. Works fine. That's the only joke I got. <laughs> Sorry. So I came from England um, in 1992. Uh, Julia, my wife, came in 94. We got married on Christmas Day of 94. Uh, we have four girls. Uh, Lucy's 21, Jessica's 19, and Rachel here is 17, and Lizzie, our youngest, is 14, coming on 15. And um, it's uh, one of those things that uh, I'm from Gateway, uh, in Winnipeg. Ron has also got four girls, a senior pastor, and the pastor of the other congregation has also got four girls. So um, we've got lots of girls, as you can tell. It's great to be with you uh, today. I, um, over the years, had a number of different connections with Calvary Chapel. Um, it started without a connection to Calvary Chapel, just some people who became part of Calvary Chapel that weren't when I first met them. So um, Michelle... Uh, Greg's Michelle um, was in grade 8 when I started teaching her at the King's School uh, back in 1992 and Andrew Micklefield who came here as the pastor was in grade 9 and uh, so I got to know them when they were very young I've got lots of stories if you'd like to come and talk to me afterwards for a certain amount of money I can tell you (laughs) all sorts of things extortion No, they're mostly good, all good about Michelle and Andrew anyway. We had some wonderful times together. And then um, shortly after that, uh, I was in, uh, used to go and help out with a little church that had just been starting in Morris in Manitoba called uh, Morris Praise and Worship Chapel. And I used to go and help them with the worship. Every now and again, Ron and I would sometimes go, Ron would preach. But sometimes when I did the worship, Dave Kayla would be there to preach. And again, we didn't know all these connections were all going to come together at some point. Uh, in the first service, we had Donnell and Christy app. Uh, Donnell and Christy were with us in the South Congregation. Julia and I planted the South Congregation in 1995 uh, in Gateway in South uh, Winnipeg. We were there 10 years, and Donnell and Christy came and joined us right after they were married. And uh, so they became part of our fellowship as well. And then in the 90s, in the early 90s, uh, we had some... Uh, I was part of helping a guy called Gene Mills. I don't know if you know Gene. He's a real character, real fireball sort of evangelist character, and Gene used to take some meetings um, uh, once a week here in Steinbach, uh, revival meetings he called them, and um, so I used to come and help him out with that, and then we realized we had a lot of young people that were coming out to these revival meetings, so we thought, well, why don't we just do a a young person's meeting as well on the same night, so the youth can have their own expression of this, so we asked around, and um, Calvary Chapel said, yeah, you can use our building, so for a number of Friday nights, I can't remember how many, I used to drive down from Winnipeg and would walk in here. Greg would be leading worship with the band. And uh, i never seen anything that was even close to uh, what came out of the worship here uh, in those days. It was really pretty spectacular, it still is. Um, but it was wonderful to see God moving among the young people in such a wonderful way. And so I came Friday night after Friday night after Friday night, driving down and uh, preaching, and they would do their... Uh, worship. We had great nights together. So I don't know if any of you were around in those days. Um, but we have lots of connection over the years. And now obviously same, part of the same family of churches. Ron McLean, uh, who's the senior pastor at Gateway, is my pastor. 
And uh, I've been, I was in the South for 10 years. Then I was the principal of the King's School for a number of years. I'm a music teacher. That's my background. Um, and then after that, I've become uh, sort of the day-to-day pastor of the Panet Road congregation, and Ron's passing on the leadership of that, and I'll be picking that up. And we're in the process of big changes, which I know you are too, in your own way. And I had a message. I was going to preach a message I just preached a few weeks ago at, uh, at Gateway. The last couple of days, actually since Friday, I've been getting sort of niggles. Is this the right message to bring? And uh, I thought about doing something else, another message that I, uh, a version of a message I preached earlier in the year at Panet Road and, and wasn't quite sure I was going to stick to what I initially thought. And then this morning when I woke up, I really felt the Holy Spirit say, no, you need to change what you're doing. So um, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do a different sermon than what I had planned, but I think it's uh, it's what God wants to share with us all today. And it's out of Joshua chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd like to turn to Joshua chapter 3 with me, that'd be great. I think that uh, Rob was in jo- Joshua 5 uh, with you as well recently. Uh, but this is Joshua chapter 3. And we're just going to read verse 1 to 5 uh, from the beginning of Joshua. And the title of my message is Consecrate to Conquer. Um, and we're going to read verse 1 to 5 in the English Standard Version. Um, this is the only PowerPoint slide we have because they put it together for me when I got here, which I was very grateful for because we don't have any other PowerPoint slides. So um, you can follow along on the slide if you want to. This is from verse 1. Joshua rose early in the morning. They set out from Shittim and they came to the Jordan. He and all the people of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. That's the verse that I want to take out of here this morning and uh, open up with you. Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. Many of you probably know the story of what came before this moment. Moses had led the people of Israel out of Egypt miraculously crossed the Red Sea, miraculously brought all the way around through the wilderness. They came to the uh, promised land, the edge of the promised land, and Moses sent 12 spies in to look at the land. The spies came back. Two of them said, this land is really good and we're going to be able to take it. Ten of them, ten of the spies said, "Mm, too many big giants, too many big problems, too many big challenges. There's no way we're going to be able to take that land. And the two couldn't persuade the ten. And in the probably the first bit of democracy in the Old Testament, the majority won. And as a result of that, they marched around the wilderness for another 40 years because they wouldn't go into the promised land. And God waited for all of that generation to die out and pass away. The only people left were Caleb and Joshua. And they came with the people again and they came back to the Jordan River and across from where the promised land was. This was the place where God wanted them to be. Flowing with milk and honey, wonderful land, great place to be able to plant 
and grow, be able to feed your families, bring up the generations that are coming after you. It's a wonderful place, been promised to Abraham generations before. And God's brought these people right to that place of being right at the promised land. They're about to enter into it. You'd have thought they'd be massively excited, and they probably were in many ways. But they were a mixture of excitement and kind of dread, worry, concern. Because along with all the wonderful things they could see in the promised land that God had for them, there were some huge challenges that were ahead of them as well. Joshua had sent some spies out into the land. He was wise. He realized 12 didn't work last time. Only two came back with good reports. So we only sent two this time. And they came back with good reports. But they recognized Jericho is big. It's tall. It's got big walls. That's just what's on the other side of the river. Then, of course, there's all the armies and the kings that lie behind that. And all the idols and the so-called gods that exist in that area that need to be taken down and destroyed. Big challenges standing up in front of them. But as they faced those challenges, Joshua came to them before they got to the Jordan River. And at the end of what he said to them, before they moved out to where the Jordan River was, he said, listen, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Let's look at the challenges a little bit more. Let's unpack them a bit. The Jordan River. If you go to the Jordan River now, has anybody been to the Jordan River? The Jordan River is nothing much more than a stream right now. Because of all the irrigation that's been taken off it over the years and the way that things have happened, uh, it's not much of a big river there anymore. But even 150 years ago, there was an exposition went um, from the United States, and one of the United States officers wrote down in his journal about what happened when he got to the Jordan River, and he said it was a raging torrent, and they couldn't get, they, they tried to put their boats in to go across, and the boats just got washed away. And if you go back even further, the river was even bigger. And this is at harvest time. This is flood time when the Jordan is at its flood, it's at its biggest. And when it's at its biggest, in these days, it could get up to a mile wide. And the currents on the the river were treacherous. I mean, it, it was like looking at an impossible journey. How can we get across this? And there's upwards of two million people, children, babies in arms, old folks, animals, Everything to try and get across this Jordan River to the other side. Normally, when the Jordan River was down a little bit, there would be fords. And you could get across the ford. You could find a way through. But not at this season. Not when it got so big. So a huge challenge. And as I mentioned before, there's the walls of Jericho on the other side. And all of the armies and the kings that are waiting to fight to save their land. Big challenges. But at the same time as big challenges, they were facing big changes of their own. They had a change of leadership. Uh, Moses had led them all these years. Humblest man on the face of the earth, the Bible says of him at the time. But God was not going to let him into the promised land. And so Joshua was going to have to do it. But Joshua wasn't a young man. Joshua was leading the troops when he was 40 years old or whatever, fresh out of Egypt. And here he is 40 years later. He was at least 80 Uh, around that age and he's about to lead these people into a land and Caleb was around the same age and they were the great sort of warrior leaders well you know they're they're pretty old 80s old Uh, and and they're leading the people in and people are going to have questions about this new leadership and are they going to be able to do as well as Moses and everything else and then you think about the land that they're going into they're going into a new land they've gone 40 years of having their meals prepared for them every day. 
right? Skip the dishes for 40 years. And now they're going across the Jordan River and they're going to have to work for their food. The first harvest is going to be there for them. They'll be able to take what's already there. But if they want to eat the following year, they're going to have to plow the ground. They're going to have to learn how to plant seeds. They're going to have to learn how to farm. This generation has never done it. They've just lived off the miraculous provision of God. And here they're going to have to go into this land and they're going to have to be able to take it. They're going to have to drive these armies out. And then they're going to have to work the land to be able to make their own food and grow in it. Grow the food for them to eat. There's huge changes that were coming across them. And one of the changes was this. They were used to following God in a certain way. Every day, every night, there was the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire at night. And when the cloud or the fire moved, they moved. Trumpets would sound, everybody would pack up their bags and away they go. They're following something they can see in the sky, something miraculous. They've got a miraculous relationship with God where they can see what he's doing. Well, no more cloud, no more fire. And Joshua says to them, you've got to learn how to keep your own eyes, personal eyes now, on the Ark of the Covenant. On the Ark of the Presence of God, of the Ark of the Promises of God, the Covenant Promises of God. You've got to do it in such a way that every one of you can see that Ark and you can follow that Ark. That's why they had to stand 2,000 cubits away. That's a long distance away from the ark. But when you've got two million people, if you get too close, not everybody can see it. So he says, you need to stand back far enough away because you've never been this way before and you have to learn how to follow God differently. The ante's gone up in so many different ways. And this is growing these people up. It's going to grow them in maturity into who God wants them to be. But those same challenges are threatening to them right now. And they're looking at them and thinking, there is no way through. And the reality was, there was no way through. You don't cross the Jordan this time of year with two million people. You don't drive out five kings or however many there were with all their trained armies and their chariots and everything else with with people who've just been herded through the wilderness who really aren't trained in warfare at all. They've had a few battles along the way. That doesn't happen. Break down huge walls. You You have no machines. You've got nothing you can bring along and put stones in and throw the stones against the wall and bring the walls down. Like this, there's no way you can do that. And it's God who's brought them to this place. And so at the same time as there's all this excitement about what is beyond for them, there are, there's these concerns and for some of them maybe even dread and fear. How on earth are we going to do this? And the fact that God brought their forefathers across the Red Sea 40 years ago will probably feel very far away for some of those people right now. Yeah, okay, that was a great story for my parents. That's not helping me today. Well, God wanted them to make their own stories. God wanted to do something in their generation for them to say that God is great and to tell of the glories of the God and to of God. And so uh, Joshua tells the people, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, not 20 years down the line, not 40 years down, tomorrow, God is going to do wonders among you. Let me unpack that a little bit. Because there's two words in there that are very important. This is a partnership. There's something that we're going to do and there's something that God's going to do. Because this is the reality. This is impossible for us. That's what Joshua is saying. Right? 
It's impossible. It's no way through. We can't do this by ourselves. But here's the other reality. God won't do this without us. We have a part to play in this journey. We can't do it without God, but God won't do it without us. He could. He could do it entirely by himself, but that's not going to get what he wants to get out of this. He won't do it without them. And so there's this partnership. You consecrate yourself, I'm going to do wonders. Let's unpack that partnership a little bit. Those two words, consecrate and wonders, because they actually have a similar meaning, even though they're different Hebrew words. And the thing that's similar to both of them is this. They both mean to set apart. To set apart. Consecrate means to set yourself apart. To set yourself apart, in this case, for God. To give yourself to God. If you want to be a a professional soccer player, at some point in your life, you've got to say, okay, I've got to consecrate myself to this. I can't just eat whatever I want to eat. I can't just live a certain sort of lifestyle that I want to live. I I can't even go all the different places I want to go. I've got to be disciplined about myself. I've got to be disciplined. I I can't start doing some extreme sports somewhere and break my leg. Like I've got to consecrate myself to the purpose of becoming the soccer player that I I feel I want to be. That's what it means to set yourself apart. You, you, You put boundaries around what you're doing and who you are that enable you to give yourself to the purpose for which you're consecrating yourself. Be set apart. That's what Joshua says to the people. You set yourself apart. Because tomorrow God is going to set himself apart. It's a different word, but it has a similar meaning. And it means something different. God doesn't have to cut things out of his life to consecrate himself to us. That's not what it means. It means this, that God is going to do acts that are going to set him apart from every other God, from every other power, from every other force, from anything man can ever do. He's going to do things which are going to set him apart. That's what a wonder is in the Hebrew. It's something that sets God apart, far above, not just a little bit above, but far above, in a total other place. You consecrate yourself, he says. You set yourself apart. And I'm going to do wonders. I'm going to set myself apart. You know, God has a huge passion for his own glory. You just have to look at the creation around us. We drove in this morning into Steinbach. And if you drive in, as you know, in the morning to Steinbach and the sun's rising uh, over the side here, some clouds, it was rising up behind some clouds. Absolutely spectacular. God has a passion for revealing his glory. That's what he does every morning. And night when it goes down the other end. And whatever happens in between. It's part of God's passion for displaying his glory. And it's not a selfish thing. He's not meeting some selfish need inside of himself that he has to show off all that he is. Everything God does is wonderful. It's glorious. It's beautiful. It's life-giving. And if people will involve themselves in what God is doing, they get to live that glorious, wonderful, exciting, life-giving, purposeful life that God has for them in His glory. You know, there's a, a scripture and it talks to us in the, in the Bible about God will not share His glory with another. 
You know that scripture? And he won't. But you and I are not another. He will not share his glory with another, but he will share his glory with his own. And when we are his, he shares his glory with us. Christ in us, the hope of glory in our hearts, being changed from glory to glory. We have this glory in clay vessels. Broken vessels so that the glory of God that is in us can be revealed. God wants to share his glory with us and in us and through us. And so he brings us to impossible places. Where only God will do. The principle of the king. Because there is no other way through. Sounds like a lyric of a song. Somebody write that. Only God will do because there is no other way through. But you will discover something about God in that moment. You will discover that he has a passion for his own glory that overrides our weaknesses, our insufficiencies, our inadequacies, whatever we feel about ourselves. His passion for his glory overrides all of those things so that he uses people like us to display his splendor. In the nations of the earth. Not just so that we can feel good about it. Although we do get blessed and encouraged. But so that the nations can see. And that's what's already happening here. If you follow the story. The two spies have gone into into Jericho. And it looks this massive place with all these big walls and everything else. But he discovers the people inside are trembling. Why are they trembling? Is not this the God that brought them through the Red Sea? Is that not their God? Like their people on the other side, the Israelites, they're worried about the Jordan and the Jericho. The people in Jericho are not worried about the Jordan and, and the walls. They, they don't think the walls and the, and the water are anything for this God. They know what God can do. The heathen do. And they're trembling. Consecrate yourself. Joshua says, because tomorrow I'm going to do wonders among you. When I woke up this morning, I mean, I knew you have a, a building project you're in the middle of. But when I was listening to Matt talk this morning, I was thinking, okay, now I understand why I'm bringing this word here to you today. Because you face some challenges which without God are impossible. Right? But that's exactly why you're here. That's exactly why you're here. That's exactly why the budget looks the way that it does. That's exactly why the difference between what we need here and what we need over in 305, is it 305 Main Street? That's exactly why you have a gap. That's exactly why some of you are wondering... What are we going to do? Are people not going to come with us? How is this going to work? And, and, and what's happening? You can see the, the giants and they're, they're real. You are going to face some challenges even in moving. You're going to face some spiritual warfare by moving over there that you do not face by staying here. 
for a fact, for a start, God, uh, God encourages his people to move, but the devil doesn't like them to move. The devil likes us kind of just staying comfortable. Don't take any new ground. But you're going to discover, even though you're just moving a few streets away in Steinbach, that you're going to face some very different things over there. We are in the process at Panet Road of, uh, of going in a number of different directions. If you know our story, we started, God spoke to us about expansion in 2012. We thought we were adding a little um, extension onto the current building. We had the plans and everything. 3.5 million, whatever it was going to be. Six years later, and a number of readjusted plans later, seriously readjusted plans, we were going to do our little extension, and then we felt God move along. God spoke to us about, um, about the country club, the Transcona Country Club. I don't know if you know that building. And it was up for sale. So we went through this whole process of whether we should buy the Transcona Country Club. And the answer was no. It was like, well, Lord, why did you ask the question? Because we knew you wanted to ask the question. Well, it was because God wanted us to start thinking about moving off the land that we were on. Well, you know, that freaks some people out. Freaked me out. What's God going to say next? Well, what God said next was, I want you to sell your land. And I want you to buy property somewhere else. And I want you to build somewhere, somewhere else. Ah, now we're really panicking. So we went from a 3.5 little extension to a 14 and 15 million dollar brand new build out in West St. Paul on the perimeter on the north of Winnipeg. In a field. There isn't anybody out there. Or there wasn't when we bought the building. It's interesting, if you, or the land. If you go there now, there's a whole slew of industrial buildings that have been built in the last 16 months. People coming up and down that driveway. There was nobody up there before. But God has a plan. But our understanding of what that plan was now is nothing to what we began with. And we thought the first one was big enough. That would have been quite enough just to try and raise that three and a half million. Now we've got to get 15 from somewhere. Help. Throw into the mix um, a whole bunch of our leaders have gone. Will and Elise have gone to York. Yay! <laughs> they were our worship leaders, our youth pastors. They were our future in many ways of our leadership. God said, go to York. Jason and Sylvia, our other worship leaders, go to the par. Oh, oh dear, this is getting a little worrying. So now we've lost three out of four of our worship leaders and our youth pastor. All in one go. And we're supposed to be moving to a $15 million thing, building. And we're supposed to be able to pay for it and, 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 and uphold it. And then God says, and I want you to leave a congregation behind. <laughs> right. And I'm going to give you the building next door to show you. Well, he has. He's given it to a, uh, an organization that are based in our church. And, and, and they were said, come and plant a congregation here. So now we're leaving some other folks behind. You can see what's happening here. God said, that plan you had, that wasn't impossible enough. It was too small. It was too manageable. It was too puny. 
You would have been able to do some of that by your own power. And I want to do something that is going to display my splendor for the nations. Right? But it's not an easy place to live, is it? Because all sorts of things go off in you. And depending on your gift mix, different things can go off. If you're an apostle, it's still not big enough. Somebody left. If you're a pastor, why are we moving in the first place? Why are we scattering the sheep? We just need to stay together and, and build from where we are. If it's an evangelist, why do we need a building anyway? Let's go meet in the pub where the people are. What are we doing? Right? So all your stuff gets shaken up and whatever. And, and, and what's going on? Where are people at? And, you know, the leadership. Oh, my goodness. What are they thinking? Well, probably not much. <laughs> Other than, help, Lord. Help us. But one of the things that happens in that journey is that God shakes loose some of the things that are going to be a problem for us when we move if we don't deal with them now. Let me unpack that a little bit for you. Consecrate yourselves. Set yourselves your stuff, your family, apart for God. Because tomorrow I'm going to do great wonders. He brings them across the Jordan. He breaks through Jericho, right? They go off and fight the next battle, and what happens? They lose. That wasn't supposed to happen. How, how, how did we lose? Well, God said, there's sin in your camp. Well, what do you mean there's sin in my camp? There's somebody who's taken something that was consecrated to, dis to destruction and they've taken it for themselves. What had happened? Well, Olga Aiken and his family, when he was sent home that night to consecrate himself before he crossed the Jordan River, he didn't get to the issues. You understand where I'm going? He crossed the Jordan with an unconsecrated heart. And when the opportunity came to take a little bit of gold and silver and stuff for himself, he stuffed it into his pillow bag and he took it out of Jericho and he hid it in his tent. But you don't hide stuff from God. When things get shaken loose, whatever it looks like, because it often looks ugly in us, never mind anybody else around us, it's because God is looking to purify our hearts so that when we get to where he wants us to be, we can flourish the way he wants us to flourish. He deals with those issues. And so they come out all over the place. They can come out around your supper table at home. They can come out in the church parking lot. Things come out in the church parking lot, you know, that don't come out in the pastor's office. And, and sometimes they're just very concerned people who are trying to sort out their concerns. They're just sorting them out in the wrong way with the wrong people. Instead of going to the leadership and dealing with things properly or whatever, it comes out somewhere else and then you get some muttering and grumbling. and well, What's going on? Well, God's, God's bringing things to the surface to say, come on, 
You need to, if you're going to go across this land together, you need to get tight. You need to be able to deal with your issues. You need to be honest with each other. You need to be able to get to the stuff. And, and you, you can be all very nice with each other. But if when you get home, you get, you're all uptight because this isn't going the way it ought to be. And it comes out to your family and your kids. That's the wrong place for it to be coming out. Call your pastor. Sit down with them. Be honest. Let it all come. That's part of getting tight. Because when you get over there, you're going to need that tightness. You're going to need that relational life together. That's all a part of what God's doing in your lives and on our lives as we're going through what we're going through together. So I came this morning to encourage you in this. God is going to do wonders among you. He is going to set himself apart as holy and glorious and mighty above every other God, above every other idol, above any other person. In Steinbach and in the nations of the earth. But he doesn't want to do it without you. He wants to do it with you. And so his encouragement to you is, and to me, go home. And consecrate yourself to the Lord. What does that mean? Well, I think in those days it would have meant they would have probably gone home. And because they were thinking in terms of rituals and stuff like that, they'd have probably washed all their clothes. They'd have sorted out whatever needed to be sorted out and whatever. But maybe then at some point they'd sit around a table and and, uh, maybe somebody around the room would say, Okay, folks, what are we watching on the internet? What's going on in our home that oughtn't to be going on in our home? What's going on in our hearts? Gossip, slander, is there stuff we need to deal with here? Is there uh, pride? Is there judgments? Like, what do we need to deal with so that when God takes us over the land, we've already dealt with those issues in our heart, or at least we're aware of them. It's not like we suddenly become perfect, is it? But when we're aware of them and we bring them into the light and we we are honest with them and we confess our sins to each other, He's faithful, He's just, He forgives us our sins and He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Right? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We've all got it. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Bringing things into the light, dealing with them properly as we go through. That's part of the journey that God has us on to get us to where he wants us to go. So my question to you this morning, and to me, to us, is Lord, what do you want to say to us about consecration? Me, personally. And then my family, my home. Lord, what do you want us to deal with, to sort out? So that we can move together to where you want us to be. And into what you have for us. In a way that's going to bring you the glory. That your wonders are going to deserve. We can take away from that glory, you know. Achan did. When that first battle was lost, some of the people around about thought, their God isn't as big as we thought he was. AI can defeat them, so can we. What did they have to do? They had to go back to their tents, consecrate themselves again, get it right with the Lord, 
so that God was able to reveal his glory the way he wanted to reveal it. So I want to do a little bit of listening prayer. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Okay? He might not want to say anything to you. That's fine. But just to say to us, Lord, if the things that you want to say to us about our lives, where you're saying, Lord, I, you, you, you want us to consecrate ourselves. When I do listening prayer, when we do it a lot at Gateway, uh, most of the time I don't hear voices like a voice speaking to me. It's a thought. But over the years, I've come to trust that often when I ask the Lord, the first thought that comes to my mind is from God. Because the next thoughts I spend trying to get rid of the first one. So I was doing some work on my car. I had it up on a jack. Um, in a very tight space, there's just the car, me, and the fence right at my back. So I'm sitting with my fence in the back. My legs are underneath the car. It's on the jack. And I'm working away uh, under the wheel hub in the car. And a thought comes to my head. It's the, it's the clearest, closest I've got to hearing a voice. It wasn't a voice. It was just a loud thought. And it was, get your feet out from under the car now. And it was one of those, it was just the way it was said. It wasn't like I've got, oh, I'm going to sit and think about this for a moment. It was like, no, I need to get, I didn't even think about it. I pulled my legs out from underneath the car and the jack slipped away from underneath the car and it crashed down right where my legs had been. That'll give you a little bit of uh, wisdom, hopefully, along the way. God speaks to us. He speaks to all of you. If you're his sheep, you hear his voice. You might not find it easy to hear him. You might get a lot of thoughts and think, what's God? I don't understand what's God. We can help you with that. And your leaders can help you with that. To figure it out. What's God and what's not God? Obviously, it needs to line up with scripture. as your plumb line right there. But listening to the voice of God. And I'm just going to do a little bit of listening prayer and say, Lord, would you speak to us personally? What are the issues and areas in our lives that you want to touch to do with this thing of consecration? That you want to deal with us? Lord, even here this morning and over this weekend. Okay? You ready to pray with me about that? And if you want to write down what the Lord says to you, you do that. I need to write down when I'm, when I'm listening to God because I'm a bit ADD and my brain goes all over the place. But if I write, I tend to remember better. But you do whatever you need to do. And let me just pray for you. And then we're just going to have some quiet. And we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak. And then we'll see where we go from there. Lord, I really do believe that you've got some great plans for Calvary Chapel. Lord, these plans on the side of the wall, that's nice. That's nice. It's a nice building. It's great. Thank you. But you've got great plans, Lord, that are bigger than those plans on, that, on, on those boards. Not, not necessarily about the size of a physical building, but about the size of what you want to do in Calvary Chapel and through Calvary Chapel and beyond Calvary Chapel. Because, Lord, you are a God of wonders. And you want to do wonders and signs and miracles with this people. And Lord, you know where they're sitting right now. And Father, I believe you put this word on my heart this morning for them. And if I'm right, Lord, I pray that you would speak Holy Spirit right to people where they are right now. And would you just tell them, Lord, what areas of their life they need to look at to consecrate. Lord, whether it's, Lord, their own personal walk with you, their devotional life. Maybe it's their marriage their home, maybe it's relationships in the church, maybe, Lord, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's business stuff. I don't know. Lord, would you speak to our hearts, mine as well, Holy Spirit. 
Lord, anything, any areas you want me to look into right now in terms of consecrating, setting myself apart for you, would you do that in Jesus' name? Amen. I encourage you, whatever came to you, share it with someone and pray with it, with somebody about it at some point. Maybe on your way home or talk with each other or whatever. Some of you, you know, you might feel, you know, there's just some things here. Yep, God's put some things. Some of you, though, might feel like this is just kind of overwhelming. All the, if, I, if I've got to look at all the things I've got to sort out, Lord, how on earth? That's just massive for me. Can I encourage you to do something? Just do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. He's wonderful. He takes it a step at a time, piece by piece. He doesn't unravel the whole thing all at once because he knows we couldn't cope with that. And just do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. Let me close by telling you a couple of stories, hopefully to encourage you. I said we needed to raise sort of 14, 15 million. I mean, you can imagine that's a bit of a load for us. We took up an offering after a few months of prayer and whatever and said, you know, um, let's... Let's see what the Lord does. Um, we came in after a month of offerings with over a million dollars for the, uh, which for us is brilliant. I mean, we're not a rich congregation by any means, and that was amazing. But it leaves you way short. A few years ago, uh, we have six acres of land at Panet Road where our building is, and there was a field just north, right next to us, um, which had a farm in it. And Ron and Mary, if you know Ron and Mary, Ron's our senior pastor, Mary's his wife. Mary's dad was a businessman. He came to live with Ron and Mary in his last few years. And he came to us one day and he said, you need to buy that land. He said, we don't need to buy that land. We've got everything we need. No, he said, you need to buy that land. Well, we disagreed with him. But he was a Dutchman. And uh, when he got something in his head, uh, so he went over to the... um, to the farmhouse he knocked on the door and he said listen can you give me first rights of refusal and um, so we were like okay he came back and said yeah i've got first rights of refusal anyway it came available i can't remember the, the exact number i quoted 140,000 in the first service i need to check it it was something around about that so we prayed about it and he persuaded us to buy this piece of land well this coming week or the week after the check at the end of our deal will come through for 4.1 or 4.2 million dollars. Why? Because God is a God of wonders. And he has a passion to display his glory. And he displays his glory most clearly through broken people who learn how to trust him and walk with him. He loves to do it. He absolutely loves to do it. And every challenge that faces you right now is an opportunity for God to reveal his glory. And you know what? He's going to do it. He will do it because he staked his name on it. Amen. Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, you watch, God is going to do wonders among you. Amen.